Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I am Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. Welcome to episode 100. Episode 100 of Philosophy. Well, it's not really technically episode 100. There's been more episodes than 100, but this is the 100th original episode. Around Christmas time last year, uh, podcast Mike, Michael Liberale, uh, put out a series of themed episodes where he picked up you know, various themes that are regular in the podcast, and he put out some episodes with various different people uh, to dip into. Um, they are absolutely brilliant, but this is episode 100 of, what do we call them, original conversations. We try not to use the word interview here, but uh, original conversations. And I have about 10 up my sleeve at the moment because we've been trying to bank some episodes so that we can... Well, basically put it this way, it's 100 episodes and it's taken us five years, which is not a, a, a really regular output, but this year we've managed to put out an episode every week, every week this year, which has been, you know, really in no small part to the hard work by podcast Mike, Mike Hell, our American producer who stitches it all together, Michael Wayne, and uh, the brilliant James Fosdyke, of course, who does all the original art uh, for the episodes. So I just want to give a big shout out to those guys for the amazing work they do to make sure that this podcast comes out every week. Obviously, for none of us, it's our main job. So we have to fit it in around real life, which sometimes can mean that those guys have to pull things together on pretty short notice um, to fit in with my schedule. So yeah, at the moment, we're trying to bank a few episodes. Trying to bank a few episodes so that when uh, Gruen's on and I don't have the time to do the podcast regularly. Hello, Ramona. Do you want to come up here? Come on. All right, up you come. So, sorry, Ramona's joined us for this introduction now. Uh, she was feeling left out, whereas Winnie is uh, breakdancing on the rug behind me. So, um, yeah, so what was I saying? So, episode 100, uh, wouldn't have happened without all those guys. A big thank you to them and a big thank you to Charlie and to Sam, um, who you know, are partners in the, I hesitate to call it a business because we don't really make any money, but uh, in our little TOEFOP enterprises, Charlie and I have two regular podcasts. One's called TOEFOP. It's nonsense. It's just, but we've been doing it for nearly 10 years and um, it's just a fun little catch up between uh, my friend Charlie and I uh, weekly. And then we have another podcast, which is loosely about AFL football, although often we don't really talk that much about AFL football and it is called Two Guys, One Cup. They both come out weekly. And then this year, it's taken us five years to get to 100 episodes, but this year they've come out every week and uh, we are endeavouring, our plan is to try to get through an entire year of putting out episodes every week. So at the moment, we're banking a whole heap of episodes to make sure that we can continue to do that. And I've decided to use episode 100 to launch a Patreon page. Now, if you don't know what Patreon is, it's basically... It's like crowdfunding, except it's a regular contribution. It's like a subscription. You can sign up at uh, patreon.com slash philosophy. Uh, and we'll put some bonus content up there. We might put some theme episodes up there. Um, I might do a bit of writing about the experience of episodes. And so there'll be some bonus content, uh, maybe some of James's art. And we'll, we'll think of those things in the future. But basically, um, I don't get paid for this podcast. I've never made any money at this podcast in the five years that I've done it. I've had some wonderful conversations with people and I've really enjoyed those. There's also been some newspaper headlines and some shitty times that I've had to experience in my life out of some stuff that's happened on this podcast. So it's it's been a lot, but I feel like it's I've quit it a few times and I feel like, 
now it's a regular thing. Uh, we've got to the point where it's a regular thing. So that's why we've set up the Patreon page because despite the fact that I don't make any money out of the podcast, I do believe in paying uh, everybody else who contributes to making sure this podcast comes out weekly um, appropriate, appropriately. Now, occasionally we run an ad or two on this podcast. Not a lot though. And I'd actually prefer to be able to say no more often to advertising. Uh, I'd much prefer that this podcast was listener supported and, and listener funded. So uh, basically you can go to Patreon, patreon.com slash philosophy. You can sign up for a $1 a month. That's your kind of minimum. You can sign up for a dollar a month or you could sign up for any amount after that per month, whatever you think uh, the value that you've got out of the podcast is. Um, but also the nice thing about that model is, you know, only contribute if you feel like you have the capacity to contribute for those who listen to the podcast but don't have the capacity to support it in a financial way. I understand that. Absolutely. I mean, it's great if you can give it a rating or share it around and help in some other way if you get something out of it. But for those who feel like that this podcast is worth something for them and they enjoy it happening, if you sign up to this Patreon page, it'll give us a indication of, you know, if you want more content, if you are enjoying the fact that it comes out weekly, um, you know, maybe there'd be an opportunity to do more live shows or maybe there'd be an opportunity to add bonus content or we don't know that until we see the level of support there is out there. So if you if you do like the podcast and you would like to support it and you would like to see it grow and continue to come out weekly, then the best thing you can do is go to patreon.com slash philosophy and, and sign up there. So thank you for that if you choose to do that. And of course, if you don't, that's absolutely fine too. I uh, appreciate that you listen to the podcast and I I hope you enjoy it. But yes, yeah, so uh, anyway, where was I, Ramona? You distracted me. I had a little plan of what I was going to say. Well, in as much as I ever have a plan. So I've plugged philosophy. I am going to Darwin to do my legal show, but that is the only live stand-up I am going to be doing for the rest of the year. I'm having the rest of the year off doing my live stand-up. And the reason for that is that in 2020, I'm going to do really something exciting. I've been, people who are regular listeners to this podcast might know that I've just been trying to explore what it is that I really love about my stand-up and where I want it to go next and what the de development I think that I can sort of make and challenge myself and excite myself and do something that terrifies me a little bit. So next year I am going to do that. I'm not going to reveal what it is right now, but I can reveal that I've at least made the decision. So that's meant that I'm clearing out the rest of the year. 2020 I'll be back. I'll be on the road. I'll be out and about. Charlie and I will probably do some live shows for the the 10-year anniversary of TOEFOP as well. So if you want to come and see me live and support me that way, 2020 is going to be a year. In the meantime, Darwin for the Darwin Festival, my show Will Legal, will be up there. So that's the plugs out of the way. That's the Patreon. That's the philosophy. Oh, oh I might mention this, that uh, Michael, Podcast Mike and I got in a studio for half an hour that will release as a bonus episode. Um, we'll release that just later in the week. It'll just be a little episode. We'll reflect on the time that he's spent on the podcast and have a little chat around that. But it's maybe an example of some of the bonus content that we could put on the Patreon page. Uh, so if you like the little conversation that I have with Podcast Mike later in the week, maybe what we could do is people can send questions through to the Patreon page and we'd happily answer them in, in a little podcast like that in a regular fashion, you know, once a month or once every couple of months or whatever the demand might be. So that's some of the bonus content that we might be able to offer if people are interested in it and if they sign up and there's an audience there for it. So if you could do that, that'd be fantastic. Oh, I mentioned that I have about 10 of these up my sleeve. Uh, I can reveal, and we do reveal on the uh, 
on the little mini bonus episode who those names are. But it brings me to who today's guest is and why I have chosen this episode for the 100th episode. Uh, Craig Coombs is my guest today. Craig Coombs will uh, be not one of the biggest names that I've had on the podcast, but this is one of my favorite episodes uh, of doing this show, of having these conversations. Craig is a guy that I know a little bit, but not a lot. Uh, But Craig is... I mean, I don't think this is, uh, you know, um, saying anything that you're not going to hear about in the next hour or so, but Craig is dying. And we speak a lot about that and, and what he's done in the last seven years since he found out that he only had 18 months to live and what his attitude to life is and what his attitude to death is. And it's not one of the biggest names, but it's one of the conversations that had uh, the biggest impact on me. I felt genuinely honored to be able to share this with Craig. I felt overwhelmed by the fact that he had clearly come to speak from his heart and speak his truth and uh, I just could not appreciate it more and he's such a lovely man such a lovely energy and this this show taught me a lot and I'm going to take a lot of it with me forward for a very long time so I hope you enjoy it too Uh, thanks for tuning into the podcast if you've missed um, some of the hundred that we've done so far, go back and listen to some ones that you haven't listened to. And and I'm going to try to get some of the people I had on five years ago on in this next year as well. So, you know, update on their lives and see what's happening in their world. Anyway, thank you for listening. That's enough from me. Uh, Patreon.com slash philosophy. And um, I hope you enjoy this episode with Craig. Hello and welcome to Willosophy with Will Anderson. I am Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. Today's guest, well, a man with an incredibly interesting story and I'm, 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 I'm imagining, I don't want to, you know, put too much up the front, you know, it's a, it'll be uh, up to him, but I imagine this will be a very compelling episode of this podcast. He's a guy whose story I'm extremely interested in. We've never really had the chance to sit down and have a conversation like this in the, uh, time that we have bumped into each other uh, in each other's worlds, but I'm very uh, great pleasure to have him here today in the studio. This is how the podcast starts. I ask my guests who they are. So who are you? My name is Craig Coombs. Now, Craig, um, thank you for coming in for a start because uh, you were uh, in hospital a couple of days ago. (laughs) Correct. And yesterday. And yesterday. So (laughs) you're, okay. So you were in hospital as late as yesterday. Uh, Four o'clock yesterday. Yeah. Okay. And didn't consider rescheduling or cancelling at any stage? No way. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I uh, still have a few drugs in me, so <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to say. So You probably won't be the first guest who's had a few <laughs> drugs in them when they've done the podcast, Craig. Now, if you don't mind, yeah. can can I ask why why you're in hospital so that we can, you know, set you know, the scene for the audience? Yeah, yeah. Friday night, I just had a massive uh, pain in my upper right chest and back and, um, which got ridiculously painful, which required ambulance. And then, um, I have a history of a long history of not being well. I'm currently fighting several cancers and liver disease and a tumor on my, uh, kidney. Um, so, you know, anything that this sort of rings alarm bells. So we just, uh, once they tried to get a line in eventually, 
and they just rushed me off to the hospital and um, then we went through the myriad of tests like we always do and try to find out what we got and they informed me that I had pleurisy and then um, yesterday when I went back for another scan they also said I've got a little bit of fluid stuck on my lungs so <sighs> okay well so I, I was originally going to ask you how you were feeling in fact when we were corresponding about you doing this podcast I was like you know if you're not well enough to come into the studio please I'd you know I'll, I'll come out to your house or yep. or whatever it is and you were you know you were saying to me no no it'd be nice to get out and about come into the city uh but how is your health i mean that's an example but tell me about the state of where you feel like you're at you know with all the issues that you have health-wise honestly uh i was diagnosed seven years ago and uh, i was told i had about 18 months to live after a a failed um, operation had thyroidectomy and a tumor on my vocal cord which both got removed and had some lymph nodes taken just to check and a few of them were cancerous at the time. Then I had radioactive iodine. And a few months later, I went back in to have the full body scan after having the radioactive iodine. And unfortunately, um, it had spread to more lymph nodes, about 30 or 40 of them. Um, so being that I have a background in medicine, a paramedic and a nurse, I knew straight away that was a spread, So which meant I was cactus. Um, I pinned them down and they, they told me they thought maybe around about 18 months I had until they'd probably get me. At that point in time, I always thought it was still a long way away. You, know, you look at 18 months, you go, that's a fair way away. So I'll be right and I'll, I'll dig in and have a crack and see what we go. Because the one thing they don't know is what your DNA's got. And my, I had a sick mother for 23 years. She was hospitalised the last 23 years of her life. And she had a billion things. <laughs> and she was told she had a weekend to live and she lasted 23 years. Um, my father had bowel cancer in 2000 and lung cancer and he died in 2016. So I thought, okay, I've got genetics on my side here. The old girl dug in, the old boy dug in. So I thought, yeah, 18 months, yeah, no. Yeah, I come from a long line no. of people who get things and then ignore them and get on with their life. And keep going. And my mum was literally, I'm not being rude, but she was a head on a pillow. She was a full yeah. quadriplegic. No sense of taste, no sense of smell. Three quarters of her spine was removed. Colostomy bag, catheter bag, MS, breast cancer. She had a lot. She was literally a head on a pillow for 23 years. And she never whinged or complained. Never. Never seen a cry. Never seen her feel sorry for herself. So I thought when I was diagnosed, I thought, well, even though mum died in 93, <laughs> I'm still scared of her. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and even though she never smacked me or never put a hand to me because she yeah. couldn't, <laughs> she did, however, get me once. I was being a little bit cheeky. Well, I always was because I knew I was safe. I mean, she did a full crot. She could only move her head at you know, a few millimetres. <laughs> so I could do what I wanted. I was 23 years of age and... I'll never forget, she said, can we give your mum a kiss goodbye? And I always used to, give her a kiss on the forehead. She said, give your mum a kiss on the lips. No, mum, no, come on. And as I did, she bit my nose. <laughs> and then she said, don't you ever be cruel to your mother again. So I got a pin and I stabbed her. <laughs> now, remember, I stabbed her in the arm. And she said, full quad, she couldn't feel anything. So I didn't really hurt her. Um, so I learned my lesson. And I thought, right, oh, okay, 18 months, no, no. And I just decided at that point in time, I don't know how to fight because that's something you hear all the time. Mm. Come on, mate, fight. I don't know how to do that. Honestly, don't look in the mirror every morning and go, right, today I'm fighting. <laughs> and then other days I look and then go, no, I'm not going to fight today. I just, I really don't know that. And it's been seven years. So I just thought I'll just do what I do. And you know, we had to get the family together. And it was incredibly difficult telling my, uh, my son, who was 24 at the time, and my daughter was 20, that... I'm gone in 18 months. I'll never see either of you you get married or have children. And that was the thing that hurt the most. And then I rung a mate. I rung about three or four people to tell them because they were all sitting there waiting for the verdict from this body scan and um, rang their mate, Peter B. 
And after we shed a lot of tears, he said, all right, what's your bucket list? So I didn't even go on. So why not? I didn't think I was going to die. I mean, yeah, I didn't need one no. up until up until yesterday. <laughs> until you know, September fourteen. Um, Pete, no. he goes, well, think something. I said, oh, no, I haven't. No. And then I, I hung up on him. To be honest, I was a little bit rude. I thought, whoops, you know, he's a mate trying. But anyway, the following morning, he rang back. He goes, well, you thought about it? And I thought, oh, jeez, no. Okay, yes, I have. All right, I want to meet. And off the top of my head, I just said, Andrew Johns, Adam Hills, Pink. Nickelback, fly over the Antarctica, and an autographed picture of Christy Wheel, and all the best Smarty Pants, and <laughs> and I really didn't want to speak to anyone for a day because, as I said, I had a tumor in my vocal cord, mm. so it was very difficult to talk back then. Now I still only have one vocal cord, and I had months and months of speech therapy to talk like I do, so I sound a bit different to what I used to be. So I really didn't want to talk to a lot of people, and then the following day, Pete rings up, and he was like. You do have tickets to Nickelback already, don't you? I said, yes, because you know I do, because I always take my daughter, and, go, and he hates them with absolute passion, like most people are probably. <laughs> and he goes, oh, I've organised for you to meet them then. I went, yeah, all right, no worries. And he goes, no. I said, well, why would you do that? You hate them. He goes, well, but I like you. I said, yeah, but you hate them. You're stitching me up. Excellent. Well done, because we try to do that. We've done that for years to each yeah. other. <laughs> you, you know, I'm going to go there and ask, and they're going to laugh at me, and then you're going to be sitting in your little chair, giving me a flipping the lead off. He went, I'm serious. <clears throat> I thought, oh, I don't know if I could, I don't know here. And went to the, the box where he told me to go that night and said, I'm really scared going, hi, my name's Craig Coombs. I'm supposed to be meeting Nickelback. And she goes, oh, excellent. Here's your pass. And the manager will be down soon. And my daughter just literally nearly passed out. She's like, it's true. I'm like, Flip, Pete, wow. <laughs> They took us in a room and there was Chad and he goes, hi, I'm Chad. And I go, yeah, I know who you guys are. And um, they said, do you want a photo? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> and at that point, my daughter's not real quick on her feet, but gee, she was then because she elbowed out the way to get near Chad Kroger. <laughs> and in the photo, you can see me looking like, you flipping little cow. It's like, hang on. Hang on. I'm the one dying. Yes. It's not. And she... <laughs> I've got the photo on my bedside table still, and I tried to crop her out and do all that. And, I, <laughs> and I, everyone, like you, everyone thought it was hysterical because I'm the one who really wanted to meet them. And I gave them a lovely present with a calendar with my birthday circle for them, hoping that when they go back to Canada, they'll look and go, oh, Coombsy's birthday, but send him a present. And it happened. <laughs> <laughs> and then Pete just then. Kept rolling. He said, um, Hilsey's playing at uh, Comics Lounge. Oh, we're going down to see him. Okay. Saw the show. And as I went to get up, he goes, no, no, wait here. We're actually going to meet him. Oh, okay. Went out behind the curtain, said oh, hello. And he had a chat. And I just thought it was a handshake and a photo. And he just kept talking and talking and talking. And he was magnificent. And then walked away. We jumped back in the car. And I said to Pete, why are you doing this for me, mate? He goes, you do the same for me. I said, Probably not to these lengths, but jeez. Um, I'd bring goes, you over some soup or something, but... <laughs> Mate, you know, jeez. And I said, obviously, pink's going to be difficult, which it was, but I did actually have a chance meeting with her in a hotel, which was incredible, outside the gym, just, and I froze. I knew she was there because I spotted her when I was coming up the lift, and I went to, my, to the room we are in. I said to my wife and my daughter, she's in this hotel, and they went, didn't have your glasses on, on her own, no security? I went, yes. I said to my daughter, Put your gear on, go in the gym. I'm not going in there. 
she walked in the gym. She came out. She goes, I apologize, Dad. I said, oh, she's in there. She goes, yep, only one. I said, in you go. <laughs> Photos. She goes, I'm not doing that. <laughs> and then um, my wife come down and go, where? I said, she's in there. Rebecca's in there with her. <laughs> I'm not moving. And when Pink come out, I, I uh, hi. And she just brushed her and she said, hi, how are you? Uh, hi. <laughs> and walked away. My wife said, you idiot. Your chance. So we sort of claimed that one. Yeah. And then for my birthday party, Pete organised a lot of people to chip in, and me and my wife flew over the Antarctica in February 2004, 15, 14, 14, which was <laughs> mind-blowing. And instead of getting an autograph photo of Christy Whelan, he sent me to see her show at the time. A funny thing happened on the way to the forum, and I got to meet her and Magda after it. And um, it was just an amazing thing that they'd been done for me. And um, there's been a catchphrase coined around Pete. Uh, People sort of say, everybody needs a Peter B. I think, yeah, they do. I'm glad I got one because they were the things that he kept putting in front of me just to, like, okay, mate, come on, this is next. And I'm like, jeez. And then other people jumped in. I had rods and Ferraris and just some incredible things. And then the Hillsy thing just steamrolled. And so just... so we'll, I, we'll get to the Hillsy thing because yep. I, I want to, yeah, let people know about sort yep. of where that went. But – yeah, I want to talk just quickly about that nature of that friendship because, mm. you know, many people in life are going to have to face a version of what you're facing. Like, you know, it may be less severe, maybe more severe. You know, people, it, it, all sorts of, you know, tragedy befalls people or illness befalls people, these sort of things. But also there's that opportunity when you're the friends of someone who's going through something pretty terrible, uh, not necessarily knowing how to react with that person, how to treat that person, how to be around that person. Mm -hmm. Like, so just the nature of friendship and, and how this friendship came to be and why it was important to you. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah. Look, friendship on the whole varies. I mean, there are so many levels when you, you become, um, when you have a, a, an illness where, you, where you're dying. Some people can handle it. Some people can't. Those that you think will stick by just disappear. And you just shake your head going, this is what I need you the most. And they go, oh, I'm finding it hard. You're finding it hard. I'm the one every day thinking, is today the day I've hit that final slide? Because when the final slide happens, you want, I won't get out of it. And I know that. And I'm ready for that. And you think they'd stand by. And then others come along that you really don't know that well. And then they just bang, hit the floor, but, you know, dropping around food, things like that to cook so when my wife doesn't have to do it, when she gets home from work, take me out for a coffee or here's some tickets to go see a show. I mean, those things are easily done. A simple message is, I love when I just get a message from someone, g'day mate, how are you going? And so, but what's a stupid question? No, it's actually not. It's not a stupid question. Just be ready for the answer. That's all. You know, and if some days you'll get, no, I'm battling today. Other days you get, no, all good, move on. Pete, I'd known for a few years before, or for a few years before that, we used to work together. And we kept a friendship on 99. I was working at a different company, and then I moved across to where he was working. And he's a footy freak, and he knew I was, and we had that in common. And we just, even when I left uh, his place of work at 2002, I think it was, we'd still kept in friends for that 10 years. And then um, he was the one who just decided at that point in time, and I always ask him, I said, why? You know, I know we're good mates, but he goes, well, I, I just thought if you're going to go, let's try to make it happy, mate. I said, yeah, all right. I appreciate that. And he hasn't stopped and he's endured a bit of illness with his parents. His dad's 
currently very sick with cancer and had uh, colostomy bags and just absolutely hell. And his mum's not well. And, you know, he's got all those. He's got two young kids. But, you know, I keep saying to him, you need to worry about your family. Forget me. He goes, no. And it's like, he's an unconditional friend. And some people do conduct, attach conditions to friendship, sadly. You think, you feel like a bit of chewing gum. You think, ah, right, I'm the flavour of the month. And then all of a sudden, oh, he's still alive. Yeah. And some do it for that. Oh, you told me I only had to commit to this for 18 months. <laughs> I had 18 months of friendship in me. I didn't have seven years, mate. That's it. And that's exactly how it feels sometimes. I'm going, oh, you know, so I say, oh, thank you for so-and-so for dropping that around. Although, oh, you're such a nice person. Going, okay, I see where that was aimed at. It wasn't me. It was you. <laughs> so they get the freak very quick. You know, bye-bye. Because I don't, I don't need that. I, I want unconditional friends. And as you say, you know, it's not hard to help out. Did it change the way you thought about friendship? Oh, absolutely. As as I said, you know, and a lot of people say everybody deserves a Peter B. He went so far, and I say Peter B because his last name's Bushteller, and it's just you know too hard. Even I struggled not knowing him for <laughs> twenty odd years. Oh, oh geez, yeah, a long time now, nearly thirty years. So it's Peter B. And everyone knows him as that. <laughs> um, and he redefined that for me because I thought he is. You know, got young kids. I mean, little fellow was four, Josh, and Sash was seven at the time. Eight, seven or eight, yep. And he's a busy working man, and he just decided, right, and he rounded up people. And to keep that surprise for me for my birthday party for the flying over Antarctica, I knew nothing about it, and people just chipped in. I mean, that was, you know, probably about four grand to fly me and my wife over. And he coordinated it all. And then other things he's done. So many more things. He keeps, you know, something's coming. Oh, God, don't do that. And he teases me. And he knows that it keeps me up. And he has changed the way, not just I think of friendship, that a lot of people in our, our group think about, yep, this is what you need to do. And it can't be done by all people because it's tyranny of distance. And I always get, I oh, wish I lived closer, so come give you a hug. Well, you don't, and you can't. But you can just say, g'day, hope you're feeling all right. Send a handwritten letter. It's pretty cool to receive one of them because we don't get them anymore. A card in the mail. I've got a mate who continually sends hampers from Woolworths with biscuits and things like that. Another mate who sends those furry friends, you know, those Cadbury furry mm. friends. I love, I love a furry friend. Oh, all right. Well, the next lot, I'll um, send you a few. He sends a, oh, I get 60, so I'll send you half of one, <laughs> not a half a box. I, I'm well renowned for my love of chocolate, so I don't actually, it's fairly, re- people will go, I can't believe you were going to give Will Anderson a chocolate, well, a half of chocolate. I made a clause to a birthday party once. Don't bring presents, just bring chocolate. This is after I got sick. And I thought, smart Alice is going to be a Fredo frog, aren't they? That's a chocolate. So I said, minimum 250 grams. I got 14 kilos. I think Toblerone's as big as your flipping body. I was so happy. And people were like, oh, have you got much left? A few months later, no. Did you give any to it? I didn't give the chocolate away. No. So I'll give you half of one furry friend when Dave Wells sends his next slot. <laughs> All right. That sounds fair. I, I, I think it would be unfair of me to ask for more. Good. Now, there's friendship, though, is something that goes two ways. Yep. Right? And this is something I've been thinking about a lot recently because I think that I um, am terrible at – I would like to hope that I'm an okay friend in that if someone needs me, I would definitely be there for them. But I – think that when people are going okay, I can be a bit of a distant friend because of the nature of work and time and these sort of things. And I know 100% the case that when I'm going through something where my friends would love to be able to be there to support or help me, that's when I'm at my worst. That's when I 
So when I need other people, that's when I'm like, I won't be in contact with people. I won't ring people. I won't message people because I am not much good at letting my friends be a good friend to me. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. How were you at that when you first started? Like, were you, did you, was it something that came easily to you? The idea that other people were making a fuss of you and doing things for you? Or was it something that you had to shut up and get used to? Because I, despite this being a wonderful story about Peter B and everybody needing a Peter B, there's a part of me that feels like I don't deserve or I would feel uncomfortable with or I would feel overwhelmed by a Peter B. Yeah, I asked him that question and, and like, why, mate? And he, he said, you do the same for me. We're friends. And this, he said, this must be a terrible thing to face every day. And I said, it is. It's a lot harder than people realise because they only see outside the doors. You know, when you put a picture on Facebook, you're out, someone they go, oh, well, you're looking well. You know, well, yeah, the 12 hours before when my wife was up at 4 a.m. massaging my legs and back and I was spewing and whatnot, it's not so much the fun part of this uh, little journey. But, yep, I absolutely couldn't understand. And I've often said, why are people being so nice? And they go, well, you are to others, so what you throw out there comes back to you. Now, I do send messages to other people who I know that are struggling or ones who I I have no idea. Just get, get on my you going. And they go, oh, I can't believe through what you're going through, you still bother to send a message. I said, it takes 30 seconds to open the Facebook thing, hit someone's name and go, g'day, how are you? Without knowing if they're going through anything or not. And I hate when people start comparing. Oh, I'm all right. Things aren't great, but not what you're going through. And I said, this is, I'm not, I, I didn't do this for you to come and talk to me. I want to talk to you to see how you're going. And they go, oh, with what you're going through, I really appreciate it. And I go, not hard to be a nice person. But I had to learn to accept because I really struggled with that early days. And I kept saying to my wife, I don't know why. And, and I, you know, a few people have said, because before you were sick, you used to care for other people. I said, well, that's because I cared for my mum for 23 years. I cared for my dad for 16. It was also the profession that you chose. I was a nurse, an ambulance officer and a teacher. So. Yeah, which are you know, jobs you take if you want to care for other people. Correct. But I then thought this is important to have people helping. And a lot of the time, the help I want now, more so now, is for my wife. And I love when people, you know, say, can I drop down to, you know, lasagna or something like that. So when she gets home from work, she doesn't have to, you know, cook dinner and whatnot because she doesn't get home until 7 o'clock. And then by the time, you know, if I'm really battling sometimes, she's going to have to shower me and help dress me. And then, you know, I can feed the dogs. She's got to do that. Um, I need some massage. She's got to do that. And it can be 9, 30, 10 o'clock. She's eating a dinner. And I, that rips. I hate, I hate it. So when people bring things for her, that's what really makes me feel good at the moment. And I, and then I'm, I'm happy when people go, look, here's a couple of tickets to take your wife out to see a movie or, you know, and I, I said the, one of the greatest gifts I've ever got is my wife's smile. When people do something to make her smile, that's all I want. People go, surely you've got other things on your bucket list. No, just want to see her smile. That's it. And if that means going out to a movie, great. If it means cooking a dinner, great. So, uh, so I ask people on this podcast, uh, you know, whether they have a philosophy, uh, and I've, I've been interested to hear what it is that you will say. You know, I mean, I've never spoken to somebody who has a terminal illness on the podcast before. At least somebody who's spoken about the fact they have a terminal illness. Uh, um, do you have, you know, a, a philosophy? Tattooed on my arm, <laughs> those initials that say make the rest of the, your life the best of your life because I think that's all you can do. That's all anyone can do. From this point on, make the rest of your life the best of. Make tomorrow a better day or the day after. And that's all I can go by. 
but <laughs> I can't do this on my own anymore. I really can't. Well, I never have. So I'm grateful that I've never had to do it on my own. And I have another tattoo that I think you can probably read that one that says, no one fights alone. And I think entwined with make the rest of your life the best of life, no one fights alone, everyone needs a P to B. I reckon that covers me pretty good. Uh, why, why, why tattoos? Why, why are they, like, why is it important to not only have that philosophy, but to, you know, to have that philosophy on you, to wear your philosophy? Yep. Didn't have tattoos until I was diagnosed with cancer. There is three things. Well, that you've, have... you've certainly taken to them. <laughs> Chest, back. Uh, I think I always say to people, there's things that happen to when you get cancer. When they sit you down, they give you a book and it tells you, you must have the surgery, which depending where it is, you must have chemo radiation and you must get a tattoo is the third edict of having cancer. <laughs> because you tell me anyone with cancer doesn't have one, I reckon. <laughs> Even my wife, who is a strict, 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 strict Christian, has this tiniest little ribbon on her wrist. <laughs> you know, my son has ribbon, my wife, uh, my daughter has, you know, they all just decided to do that. My wife got this tiny little one. I thought, it's true. Everyone gets it. <laughs> Um, and mine just started to grow because I had Peter B's signature and I have that other fellow's signature. And they were the first two because they were the two that jumped in. And then other people started doing things. And I thought, you know what, I might create a life arm. So for people who go over and above, I'll either get their initials or their autograph on me. And as you can see, I've got Sammy Johnson and Connie up there. And, and then I have a family arm with my kids, my wife, my grandson and my mum and dad. And then across my chest, I have, I've got Dave Hughes on there. <laughs> um, I've got a few other little bits and pieces. So it just evolved through that. And I thought to myself when it started, because they're coming with me, you know, these are the people that have gone over and above. And I actually try every night to get to every signature. And then the ones I can't see, I remember. And I try to say their name and say goodnight and thank you every night. I don't get there some nights, I fall asleep, but I try really hard. And I just think, well, they've done something for me. They're coming with me, whether they like it or not. <laughs> They're going to get burnt to a crisp. <laughs> um, tell me, did you have a life philosophy before you were diagnosed? Nope. How are you a different person now? I mean, obviously, I mean, you know, people like to imagine that, you know, being told that you have a, you know, I mean, we all, none of us know, right? You know, I mean, you can walk out of your house tomorrow and get you buy a car or trampled by a horse or however people die, you know, <laughs> but, but, you know, there is that thing that we all sort of have a sense of, which is that idea. The doctor says to you, you have six months to live or you have 18 months to live or, you know, you know, get your affairs together. Yep. It's, you know, this is, so it, 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 then you kind of know, even though as you, you've it's completely proved, you don't know, right? It's, it's still unpredictable. Yeah, at the moment. But yeah. somehow it makes us feel like yeah. we know. Correct. You know, now, so what were you like before versus what you're like now, I guess, is uh, what I'm asking. People reckon I'm still the same. They say because a lot hasn't changed except just the way... I think through other people of trying to get me to enjoy things. So I've probably lived more in the last seven years in doing things than I had previously. I was like, everyone else complain about traffic, complain about your coffee, complain about your job, come home, sit there, whinge, wait till the footy's on the weekend, watch all that. I used to work in the AFL, so I was working seven days a week for a while. That was full on. I was just like everyone else. But I just didn't go out much because I didn't because I was home with the family. So the only thing that's really changed is doing things. And I said, I've lived more in seven years than I did in the previous 42. 
Okay, so let's talk about Adam Hills because I teased that a little bit. <laughs> so I, I, I like I, I want people to be able to hear this story. So you, you meet Adam Hills at the Comics Lounge. Yep. Was it the Comics Lounge? You Correct. told that story. Yep. You have a chat to him afterwards. Yep. What what happens after that? Nothing for months and months and months. Then the following year, and this is your fault, by the way. It's my fault. Well, listen to this. Oh, you hang on. Do I don't. I don't. I don't think you I don't know, know this. this. No, right. I've All been right. waiting and waiting, waiting because I need to tell you this face to face. Okay. In person. This story. Pete and I went to see Hilsey after one of his shows, the 2014, I think it was, oh, I forget the theatre now. You were on after, or no, after or before him. Anyway. Okay. Uh, no, must have been after because he was going to come out and meet us. Mm. He decided he wanted to hang her. He started backstage just to watch you. And you were that captivating and that good. He forgot. And he just watched your show. Me and Pete were outside thinking, geez, what's Pete's going on? I don't know. He said he was coming out after his show. I don't know what's going on. And we waited for about 45 minutes. And I said to Pete, mate, I can't do this anymore. This is killing me standing out in this cold. And I said, we've got to go home. He said, oh, okay, I'm sorry. I said, it's not your fault. I said, something's happened, obviously. Mm. Not your fault. Lo and behold, when your show finished. It was, it was my fault. <laughs> Lo and behold, it was my fault. But this is where it gets good, see. <laughs> Because what happened after that changed what would have happened because he then, once he show was finished, he got to his phone and went, oh, oh. no. And he contacted Pete and he's like, it's okay. He goes, All right, I'll make it up to you somehow, I'll, I'll, but I'm, I've got to go back to London. I'm not going to be able to, you know, uh, or whatever was happening at that point. And um, that was it for months and months. And then um, when he was doing in Gordon, uh, Adam Hills tonight, we just applied to be audience members, me and Pete. And I got the email saying, you got six tickets. Pete got it. He rang me. I was in the supermarket. And I said, yeah, I just got it. He, I said, well, one of us need to cancel. He said, I'll cancel. And they sent you a survey just saying, do any of your friends do party tricks or anything? And no, 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 no. And Pete just contacted me and said, uh, I've dropped Gene, by the way, to Hills' mob. I said, don't me for what? He said, your photos. Oh, no, you're not going to like that, mate. Don't worry about it, you know. And then lo and behold, um, get a phone call from Anita and the producer. And she goes, oh, Adam's remembers you guys and he knows your story and he's had a look at your photos and um, are you free Friday to come down and do a photo shoot with him? Uh, yeah. Okay. So we went to a photo studio in Elwood with James Penlidis, took the photos, they donated him hills tonight and on we went. <laughs> and if he also says if he would have come out and met us right. that night. It would have been done. It probably would have been done. It, that part of it probably may not have happened. So what happens after this? Well, we, we done the photo shoot and we recreated some rather iconic photos in my style. And my style is, um, you have to be naked, but covering the important bits, obviously. And we done the, uh, <laughs> Yoko Ono Elton John one. Cause it, I remember at the time, was it, was it Naked Tuesdays Correct. or something you still were going. doing? Still going. Still doing. I've still got so it. So tell people what Naked Tuesdays is. It's a Facebook page called Naked Tuesday. Today's Tuesday, Will. <laughs> <laughs> and I shouldn't say you got nothing on, should I? Is, is that like, is it, whoops. Hey, hey. Oh. People can hear it. <laughs> they can tell. They can tell. <laughs> what was that? Oh, here it is. 
Um, yep, still going Naked Tuesday, all one word, because if you put Naked Tuesday, I think it gets some freaky variations. I was going to say, the there's internet. a few people have tried it over the years. <laughs> don't um, Google it, work. Uh, yeah, just, yeah, no. <laughs> Although it's safe because you don't see anything you shouldn't. That's all the bits are covered. Yeah, so, once you get to your site, but well, there, oh, might, yeah, the others, there might be oh, some on the way. There are, <laughs> yeah, look out. So ours is one, and you should be able to see your modern adorable face and think, oh, this is the fat guy's page, this is right. So, <laughs> yeah, so that just started out of an absolute accident. Um, and then, um, Pete dobbed it into Hilsey and Hilsey just decided to fly with it. And then at the end of the show, Hilsey goes, if you want a Facebook page or whatever, no, nah. he goes, I think you need to create one. And Pete goes, I'll get onto it. Um, cause Pete actually said that before. And I said, no. <laughs> and then Hilsey suggested and Pete goes, oh, now you say yes. Yeah. I'll go, well, <laughs> it'll last three or four weeks and no one's going to do it. And anyway, and then the segment went on the show. We actually did have a, a website then, and the guy who was managing it rang and said that it's crashed. There's too many people on there. Well, what? And I was just dumbfounded by all these remarks because he played the story as well and informed people what was going on. And it um, <laughs> it grew and grew and grew. And So tell me what that was like, that moment, because oh. you've gone from at that point, you know, by now you're used to the fact that, you know, you... you People know who you are a little bit at least. And, you know, some people have heard your story or they've heard bits and pieces of your story, you know, particularly through, you know, the Hillsy stuff. Yep. Um, but this is, at this point, nobody does. No, really. no, not, no, not well, no one outside no, your no, group of no. people. And that was the most incredible thing because the following day I went to Southland and I had a bloke come tearing up to me after it was shown on TV. He goes, mate, 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 all the best. What the, What? Oh, the show. And I had about three or four people. I'm going, oh, my gosh, you're the guy that was. And I rang my officer. I haven't even got to shop here. I've been 45 minutes. I'm getting smashed by people who want to say hello. And I really didn't like that, didn't understand it, going, why? You know, they don't know me. And I remember talking to Hilsey once about this, and he said, you've got no right to tell people how they feel about you. Accept it, be happy, do what they want, take a photo, an autograph, and say thank you. I went, okay, all right. But I thought this will die down anyway in a few months. People get sick of it. Um, you know, we've got about 8,000 people follow the page, probably get around 20,000 hits a week. We invite other people to send photos in that we edit and put up because a few that we need to edit because <laughs> I didn't quite get the uh, editing process right. Um, so we have a bit of fun with that. And um, Hilsey then uh, came over to my house for my birthday. I invited him and I didn't expect him to come to my house. <laughs> but, mate, he's so true to his word and he... he Turned up an hour before. I said, oh, something will happen." You know, mate, leaving now might be. Oh, and he did, and we just. Yeah, I mean, you're lucky. I yeah. didn't have a show on at the same time, obviously, <laughs> or he wouldn't have been able to drag himself away. Correct, that's the one. Yeah, and then um, we just chatted and had a bit of a laugh, and found out we love tennis and whatnot. And then he said, "Oh well, you know, this was December." He said, "Before I go in January, do you want to have you here tennis?" And I said, oh, "I can't run, but I'd love to have you here." And then we did on that day, it lasted about two minutes, but I'd done what I wanted to do. I just wanted to hit one sore and backhand, being that he'd been a tennis coach. He, he taught me and I hit it and I was so happy. And then we were walking out and he, he said, you've got a wicked sense of humor, you know that? He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you to do some stand-up. I said, no, nah, <laughs> I don't do that. And he goes, well, I'm challenging you. So you can't say no. Oh, well, I can, but I'm not saying no to Hillsy. In my head, I'm going, well, no, I can't say no to this man. Also, it is hard to say no to Hilsey. He it does have that sort of, yeah, I, like it, will, it won't surprise me if at some stage, like a thousand audience members all drink Kool-Aid together because Adam, Adam told him, they'd be like, all right, Hilsey, we trust you. <laughs> oh, geez, that's funny. And then um, 
we're walking out and Pete actually said, he said, five minutes of stand up. Come on, mate, let's do something bigger. Let's put on a gala now that we know a few of the guys in comedy. Cause I started going to the comics lounge mm. because that's where I had an escape from the world. And they're just wonderful people to me. The comedians were just making me laugh so much. I was forgetting about everything. I'd drive home and I'd be happy. The following day, I'd remember some jokes. And I thought, this is what I needed. And I used to go to the comic stand two or three times a week because it was my my solace. My, I, I found something that was helping me live, which was comedy. It was a godsend to me. And guys like Harley Breen and Tommy Little were the first ones that, that you know I really saw and thought, right, this is it. This is what I'm doing. And um, that sort of kept going. And then I sent the Hulsey a message and said, look, we're going to put a gala on and try to raise some money for a, you know, a charity, not me, for a, another one. And um, you know, if you're back, would you like to come on? He said, absolutely. All right. So we've got a few local comedians as well. And then Pete goes, and Hilsey said, you've got to do your five minutes before me. I went, no problem. Uh, I ended up doing 20, <laughs> which is the cardinal sin, which I know that. <laughs> and the Hilti, I remember him saying, he's out the back going, geez, when's this guy going to get off? Oh. <laughs> well, I mean, it's pretty on brand for someone who got told they had 18 months and it's taken seven years. <laughs> so you're, you're running that red light, sticky feet. Oh, I did. Keep going. And um, I remember John Burgos was hosting. And after he said, because yeah, obviously the room was full, there's 550 people there. And um, whether the jokes were funny or not, didn't matter. They laughed and they were jokes about cancer, which is fine. I've got it. I can tell it. And they weren't dark jokes. They were just funny stories that happened, things like that. Because believe it or not, funny things still do happen to you when you have cancer. Like when you're having a bloke with your finger up your date or things go wrong, which they did <laughs> really wrong for me one day. Not what you're thinking. It didn't. But my sphincter uh, decided to have a grip on him and his eye spasmed and gripped the doctor's finger and he went, I'm stuck. He couldn't get out? He couldn't get out. And I, what? He goes, I'm stuck. I'm going to have to get it out. And I went, oh, no, yeah, of course you're going to. No, said, well, Can you yeah, relax? That is, that is the best of all options. <laughs> Can you relax? Mm, no, you got your finger up my day. I can't relax. And I was petrified thinking, what am I going to do? And he started <laughs> this, pulling this hard. This is how I live now. <laughs> this is it. I thought, I've got a bloke stuck to me. And he's pulling real hard and, and then he got it and he grabbed his shoulder. I thought, I've dislocated his shoulder. I thought I broke his fingers. I heard it click. I did. And I thought, oh, jeez. It wasn't funny then. It wasn't funny then at all. When I got home, I thought, all right, now it's funny. And, you know, when they forget to wipe the gel off you and you sit down in your car, you know what gravity does to gel when you sit on your bum? Yeah, it pushes it forward, hits your nuts. I jumped and hit my head on a visor and cut my head. Walk back in, hold my head, and the nurse goes, what's up? I says, stuck your finger up too far. But look at it. Have a look at this. Not at the time. And on the way home, I abused one of my mates because it was his fault because he planted this seed in my head just as I was going in. I said, if I scream, it could be me. And he goes, yeah, well, mate, there's a fine line between pleasure and pain. I had that song in my head, and as soon as he stuck his finger in me, I laughed. And I thought, it's probably inappropriate, isn't it, to laugh when a doctor... But things have happened that are funny and you can't have a giggle at it. And, and the jokes are based around that. I do have one that's, you know, probably not great in, in regards to being a bit dark and it upsets a few people because they get an image. But I still think it's funny. Hilsey then said at the end of that gala, I thanked him and thought that was the end of the road. And he said, oh, no, I'm going to do anything I can and everything I can to keep you alive. And I thought, well, what can you do? Well, I found out what he could do because then with his next year's comedy festival show, he decided to uh, put my story, get me to tell the jokes. It was Clown Heart, which was at the afternoon. We've done 19 shows there. 
And uh, it was probably one of the greatest experiences of my life. He then decided also to write a song at the end called In Your Face Cancer, which he sang. And um, he thought it was appropriate that sings the Tuesday things that I stripped to the song, and which I did every night down to a G-string, which made a few people, because no one knew. And even when the reviewers came, he asked them, please don't reveal the end. And they were so great that they just went, whatever you do, don't leave. And it could be tragic or it could be good for you. And, and even in Clown Heart, you know, we'd done the 19 shows that we ended up doing two at the Opera House, one at the Civic in Newcastle where I was born. He, he made a show appear in Newcastle, my hometown. We ended up, uh, oh, well, today, four, three years ago, we flew out from Montreal. We'd done it at Montreal. We are also on the gala, Nathan Lane's gala. I remember Nathan Lane's words when we finished. He went, well, that's a showstopper. <laughs> <laughs> and I had Alonzo Bowden shake my hand and tell me, well, he's one of my favourites, you know. And Brad Williams, we, we were on before Brad Williams. And he hung around. I mean, that is the tall and the short of feedback, by the way. You've gone from Alonzo, who's like six foot eight, to Brad. Who's been two foot eight. Yep. And Lewis Black. Lewis Black shook my hand and said, young man, your jokes are as funny as they are brave. Well done. And Hilsey's like, yeah, take that with you. And we ended up doing that. And then um, when I couldn't go to shows in the UK, he'd FaceTime me in to my lounge room at 5 a.m. in the morning. I'd get up. My wife would hold the phone. I'd tell a few jokes. Listen carefully as you're singing, and I'd strip, and he'd have it on a big screen in whatever theatre he was. We ended up doing 83 shows. At every show, we stood outside in the foyer in our dressing gowns, probably for an hour, collecting money. And we raised over the 83 shows over a quarter of a million dollars for different charities, all he's doing. And in 2016, he flew my wife and myself to London. We'd done a few shows in Northern London, warmed up, because then we'd done it at the Apollo Hammersmith, which was filmed for DVD. It's out on DVD. You can buy it at Anyway, clown heart. <laughs> um, and uh, he has kept true to his word. And then he just keeps, you know, when clown heart was over, I thought, well, there it comes. No, I got a text from him last night, three days before. He's a mad rugby league fan as I am. We talk about that. He's now playing PDRL, physical disability rugby league. You know, they won a game. They FaceTimed me in, singing around the cup last year. I mean, th- this is what I talk about, unconditional. He, 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 he he didn't have to do anything. He could have walked away at any point in time and I would have said, you're a superstar. And he hasn't. And again, I, I'm just, you know, blown away by that. Still. Still. Tell me, um, you have had so many, you know, interesting experiences since then, you know, that you've told us about. What, what I guess I, I, I'm interested in not just what you've done, but what you have learned out of doing those things, like, you know, they, I mean, I, I'm, there's a long list. We, we're, we're not in a rush. Yeah. It's okay. But I mean, let's start with the Hillsy thing. Cause we're talking about it, yeah. but what did that experience, you know, being not just what Hillsy did, but being part of that, doing those shows, performing in that way. Like, you know, what was that like? Incredible to get a, we walk, you know, he used to show the, the video and then go, you can do the maths. 18, 18 months has passed. So therefore, I'd like to say the words, welcome to Stage Craig Coons, because people think I'm dead. <laughs> and you can, you can see them go, oh, poor fella died. Yeah. <laughs> they walk out and they clap. And he also goes, I always just say to him, I haven't done anything and you're clapping. He goes, well, they're clapping because you're not dead. I'll go, well, you know, let's everyone on the street, you know, walk up and someone go, what's that for? Well, you're not dead. You're doing a good job. I've got to be honest with you. I think the world would probably be a better place if we gave people a little bit more credit for, well, you're still alive. You're still here. I, well I might, done. I might do that. Yeah. It's someone, someone that doesn't look like they'll punch me in the head. So, so I've got to pick my mark. And at the moment, my mark's probably 80-year-old grandma's <laughs> on walkers, slightly hunched over, you know, because that's, 
probably anything under that's probably got me covered at the moment. So I might try that and see what happens. They probably swing a chair mm. at me and belt me, but then I'll say it was Bill Anderson's fault. He, yeah. he put me if, up to it. If a guy if a guy with a goatee and tattoos all over <laughs> his body <laughs> comes up to them. Yeah. Um, just, okay, yeah, but what was that ex- like I mean oh. not just what it was what it meant for you, but what yep. did you learn from it? What was like how did that change you as a person doing those shows? Again, I was surprised at the other people willing them to tell you their stories. And after every show, you know, people come up, can I have a hug? Yep, for sure. They'd say they're either a survivor, they were going through it, somebody else they knew died, which is a hard one. I, I know it's going to sound terrible, but I hate when I get messages going, oh, my uncle died of cancer last night. And I'm going, well, please, yeah. hey, tell me you know somebody who survived, please. You yeah. know? And I know I get it because I think, well, you've got it. So, yeah. yeah, but that really smashes me a bit. And I'm going, I'm so sorry for you. I really am. Mm. Please tell me some good ones. Um, and I had so many people come up and I, one show in particular, Hilsey, you know, as he gets people coming late, jump up the stage and this, there was family, but the dad was saying, Oh, is there a dad? Yep. Oh, he's having a stem cell treatment tomorrow. Oh, ring him up. Hilsey FaceTime. He wished him all the best. And then someone else said, I start chemo tomorrow. He was like, what's going on in here tonight? We've got all the, the cancer crew. Yep. And then in the foyer, the, the girl that yelled out, I got chemo tomorrow, come over. She's about six foot two, covered air and everything. And she said, oh, you know, my foot, like Hilsey, been missing there. And, um, oh, so we had a bit of a chat and found out she loved music. So kept in touch, became friends. She's now one of my best friends. With the shows that we end up doing, Pete and I at the lounge, we've done a few shows over the last couple of years with special guests and whatnot. We had a band that formed. She was part of that band. Um, she is now one of my best friends. Which I can't fathom that, that someone just yelled out, I got chemo tomorrow in 2015 at a show is now clearly one of my best friends. The day my father died, she came to my house with flowers and I'm like, Catherine, thank you. You know, but she's going through her own. She's still, she's still having chemo. We talk regularly about how you cope on this drug or that drug. What if the new one they've tried you on? What? And that blows me away that I've got friends out of this. A lot of my friends are now through the Naked Tuesday page where things have evolved into friendships and I'm, you know, I lean on them people a lot. And that has taught me about, you've probably got to be a little bit more open to others as well. And, um, sorry. No. That's, uh, yeah, getting friends is not what I thought would happen. I thought I'd lose people as I lost my life. I thought, and, and I have, you know, I've lost some relatives who think that Naked Tuesday is a terrible thing to do. It's not the right way to fight cancer. And I think, well, hey, when you get it, give me a call. Tell me how you're going. I just couldn't believe that relatives would turn their back on you because it's shameful, you know, to, to bear your – and look at you. You're big and you're fat and something, and your scars. I had diverticulitis a few years ago. It's a massive scar down the middle. Three quarters of my bowel removed. I got – my belly button got relocated, so it's in a weird place. You know they can do that. The doctor said to me, we've got to cut you right down the middle. Do you want your belly button back? Huh? He said, well, I'll give it to you, but I can't put it in the same place. Do you want it back? I went, hey, that'd be cool. Put it somewhere really over a bit to the side. And I have, but people often go, what the hell? They can relocate your belly button. I thought, that's, yep. So I got one of them relocated. And my, some of my family, not all my family, not, you know, just a couple were like, it's just not the right, they're strict Christians and they just thought it was wrong, totally wrong. All right, see you later, goodbye, off they go. And yet other people embrace it and think nothing of it, think, well, you're covering up the bits that need to be covered up and you just having a bit of fun in the face of your adversity. And look, it's not for everyone. It's like, I understand that, but it's for me. 
and my friends and my family. And it works. My wife's okay with it. My kids are. Oh, I said to my kids, if you get embarrassed by anything I do and you don't like this, you tell me, I will stop it in a heartbeat. I don't want anything happening to you. No, no. You know, and as I said, the things I was worried about the most was my children. I thought my wife would be all right because she's strong and she is. And I thought I'd never see my kids have kids. Well, my, my son had a child two and a half years ago, a little lake, and he's an absolute terror and he's sensational. Uh, last year, my daughter got married in December. I walked her down the aisle and I was so happy. I thought that was the final point. And I told friends, I'm content now. I'm done. And they go, no, 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 keep fighting. I go, do you know how hard every day is? And I actually, my, my beautiful cousin Tracy, who lives in Newcastle, she comes down to Melbourne often. I reckon she's probably been here 15 times in the last four or five years. She'll just come down even for a weekend to see me. I asked her that when things are looking dire and I'm a couple of days away on the deathbed in the hospital, I want you to lie to me and tell me my daughter's pregnant. So I have that knowledge with me. My father knew that um, my son was about to have a child because dad died in December and Lake was born in February. So he knew. And whilst he wanted to make it, he knew he was cactus. But he said, well, I know he's coming, so I'm all right. So I thought, I just want to know. I just want to know whether it's true or not. Well, it wasn't, you know. And she, she said, yep, yeah, I'll do that for you. And then, you know, about uh, 10 weeks ago, my daughter walked in wearing a shirt that said it's not fat or something like that. And I didn't get it. And she goes, I'm pregnant, Dad. I rang Trace and said, uh, you don't have to lie to me. She goes, no, I will. I went, no, you don't have to. She goes, if that's what you want. I said, listen to me, girl. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to because it's true. She's having a baby. Woo-hoo. And then a week ago, we found out. They uh, went and got the gender reveal for us. And uh, I got my wish. It's a little girl. <laughs> and uh, that's the full stop. This baby's due on the 1st of December. The things I never thought I'd see come to an end. And if I'm totally honest, I'm happy to die after that. And people say, don't you want to see her grow up? Don't you want to see Lake? Of course I do. Who wouldn't? But... This is hard work, man. Real hard work. Especially now with the liver and now. Flipping lungs involved. I I know. I said 18 months seemed a long way away. Six months you can touch. And um, I know all about the sister dying program. I'm right on top of it. <laughs> Which my friends don't like. But I have such a good knowledge of that. Because they're concerned. Tell me this. Um... Uh, do you need a tissue, by yeah, the way? Oh, good. Sorry. There's, uh, there's some in the studio. Um, thank you, by the way, for this. I'm, you know, I, it's, I, I can see you just how generous and honest you you're being with me, and it's really my pleasure. <laughs> it's, but it's a like it's it's a gift to me, you know, because like I know that you would have known coming in that there was a chance that you know. You know, when we start to talk about these sort of things, yeah, yeah, yeah. this is yeah. the conversation we're going to have. So yep. I, I, you know, I just want to say how appreciative I am that I, you know, that you've come to do this. And and please, if any of these questions uh, at no. any stage, but I, I think from the outside that of course we all want to say fight, and of course we always want to say it's the thing that yes, you know we're ingrained nice. to do, <laughs> right? Nice. Yeah. We we don't want this world without you. We don't want we want to say this to people. But also 
I want, I want you to know that I see that it's hard and I acknowledge how hard it is. What's, can you talk to me about, like, I, I, I think in this society sometimes it's almost like we don't want to hear about how it's hard. Yep. We want to hear about, you know, that you're going on tour with Adam Hills <laughs> and you're doing <laughs> Naked Tuesdays and yep. look at, look at Craig. He's living this amazing life. Yep. He met Nickelback. And, yep. you know, he's, look, he's packed more into the last seven years than... A lot of yeah, people have in their whole life. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And don't get me wrong. I think all that is amazing. It but sucks, I mate. You know why? Because it took this illness to make me live life properly. And I say to people, don't let something bad happen to you. Start living life. If you can do it now... Do it now because, as you said, you don't know what's going to happen to you tomorrow. You might be fit and healthy and feeling well, you get a headache, like poor little Jack Higgins. The next thing, bang, and he was fine, just got a headache. Athlete, we've heard the stories, and it really grinds me when people, you know, like, oh, I'll get to it tomorrow. Well, <laughs> good luck. I thought I'd get to it tomorrow too because I just had a croaky voice and had a headache. When then six weeks later, told me you got a tumor and then it's also spread to your thyroid. I mean, don't wait. Please don't wait. It, it it really gets me. Great point to bring up, mate. Tell me what the the worst of it is. What does that look like when you're, you know, if if you don't mind, yeah, yeah. you know, like when it's at its worst, when you're feeling like no, this is too hard. What is it? What does that look? Yeah, like? Yeah, that happened probably uh, in January this year when I honestly think if they had a sister dying in then I would have pushed the button. The pain was just horrendous, and when I talk about cancer pain, it gets you from your toes to your head. Um, and it just grips really hard. It burns and hurts. Now, I'm in heavy-duty painkillers all the time. It still rips through them. I, I, I'm at a constant level now where they're still needing help with other drugs that I take. Um, you know, I was on morphine patches for three years, but that caused problems with my bowel because I've had three bowel obstructions. Uh, last one was 28th to 26th of December, so just Boxing Day, I ended up having one, and they're terrible because they... Um, you know, they can finish off. And I had three and they basically said, one more and you get in a bag. And I've already had a ileostomy bag for six months. I hated it. So I don't want that. But if it means you stay alive, you know, you'll take the bag. Because <laughs> funny things happen when the bag splits. Been there, done that. <laughs> Literally does hit the fan. Um, but when that pain grips, you can't seem to get around it. And you think, all right, I'll just take a couple more in dome. That'll do it. And then, you know, you know you've probably got about 45 minutes to wait till it gets through you properly, but you can't. 30 minutes, the pain's still there. Right, I'll take, I'll just take a couple of ibuprofen that'll kick that in. And then nothing. Think, I'll have a warm shower, I'll get the blood flowing. All right, I'll do that. Okay, good, good. Now I'll do some stretching. Still nothing. The pain is not subsided. All right, I've got Tarjan. I've already taken that today, but I'll take it now and hopefully give that a boost. And thinking, well, you've already popped another 30 milligrams of endone in you, which is an Oxycontin, which is an opioid. So it should work. You're fighting. And... Whilst you know, okay, just try to relax and take a deep breath, but you, you can't. You just keep, you mongrel the thing, you fidgety, keep moving. All right, do you know, I need my legs massaged. Right, start, it's, it's my hamstrings. Then all of a sudden, now it's calves, now it's my feet, now it's my back. It just, when you massage it, you move it around. And the pain is that tight. It's a real tight feel. Now, I'm never worried about my heart. It's the only thing that's in good shape. And I get hot, I'll sweat, um... And to the point then where you've taken too many excess drugs, but eventually after 10 hours, you take the edge off. And you think, oh, thank God for that. Oh, it's bedtime. <laughs> and you think, oh, geez, I feel sick because I've taken too much. So I'll just go to the drawer and pop some motilium in. That'll help with the nausea. I've already had one of those. I've already had three of those. But I know that'll help eventually. And it does. And you get to sleep and you wake up the following day and you feel like a tram's run through you because you've just fought for 10 hours against it. And your body is heavy as. It's really heavy. 
and your arms are so sore and you literally can't lift them. You're exhausted. Um, and two weeks ago on a Sunday, I was just sitting in my chair, got a beautiful chair, sit by the window with my dogs looking out there most of the time. And I just started crying. And my wife came in, what's wrong? I said, it's started. Here we go. And she goes, what can I do? I said, well, go and get a couple of them for me. And I'll chuck the couple in. I said, let's get to the massage straight away. And then I just said to her, actually, you know what? No, just leave it. I'm sick of this. And she said, no, I'll do massage. I said, no, forget it. You just go and do what you need to do. And I'll just try to ride this out. And I hate calling on her all the time. It's a thing that annoys me so much. So I take up so much of her time. And if I'm totally honest, I actually think my death will be her reward. Because it'll release her. So she gets her life back. And I think because she's dealt with my mum's illness through when we got married, my dad's illness, and then mine. Now, mind you, three months after I got diagnosed with cancer, her father was diagnosed with stomach cancer. She sat in a chair and she said, so in the next year and a half, I'm going to have to bury my father, my father-in-law, and my husband. I went, yep. She said, it's going to be a tough 18 months. Now, and she's, she did, her father did die uh, before my dad. And then I went, and they, that's how we wanted it, because her dad was 90-odd, my dad was 70-odd. And I said, it's the first time I'm pretty happy to come third. <laughs> I, I like winning on competitive beast, I like to come first. Uh, I thought, no, I'll grab the bronze medal this time, fellas. You can, you know, and they, they, they did succumb to it. Um, and I have thought that I think she needs a break, because it's, it's hard work for her looking after me sometimes, because, you know, I, I don't have to like my wife get me out of the shower and dry my legs and me I can't bend over or she helped me put my pajamas and socks on 55 years old it's way too early for that and I hate it absolutely hate it when I say to her I couldn't feed the dogs I just couldn't stand up for that long I tried I'm sorry um and by the way can you get me my protein drink I, d I don't eat till about five o'clock at night I'll have a protein drink in the middle of the day because food just not great but I'm high in protein it's good they're happy with that Happy for me to load of meat, which I love me chicken. <laughs> um, and I enjoy barbecue and doing that, trying that. That's a new thing that sort of happened. And and um, I know it's tough to say that, that I feel that my death is her reward. She wouldn't think that. And I've not even told her this because she would just be, don't be silly. But I think she'll get her life back. She'll get a lot of time back. She won't have to worry as much. She won't have to leave work to come and take me to appointments. She won't have to, you know, things that we had planned. Like we planned to go to the movies on Saturday, but because of the hospital, we, we lost that gold class out the door. And we were both looking forward to that. Like, fair dinkum again, I've been the cause of her missing something that she was really looking forward to. And um, I honestly see, you know what? And same for the kids. They'll have their own children to worry about bringing up. And... Um, it won't be, we need to go and see Papa because Papa won't be there. And I think that takes the pressure off them as well. I understand they'll be grieving for a little while, but life moves on. I never thought I'd get over the death of my mum or my dad. And I probably haven't, but I still can do things and I still get on with it. So I know they'll be the same. And I know the first month or two will be tough or, or Father's Day or my birthday, December the 7th, by the way. Um, I know Nickelback sent me a calendar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dirty cow. <laughs> what did Pink send you? That's what I wanted. Yeah, she got it wrong too. Did so I, I, I understand those dates will be difficult, but then I think they'll get on with it. Um, and I, I hope that part of my mother's DNA and my father's DNA and my DNA will be distributed to my children. And that should adversity get to them, which I hope the hell it doesn't, <laughs> like every father, that they'll just find a way, probably not Naked Tuesday, I wouldn't think, but um, although there's a... Always a fair uh, applause when my son joins in. The uh, 
I get so many, is he single? Is he available? Jeez, give it a rest of you, know. Hi, I'm there too, you know. <laughs> I always remember Lawrence Mooney's reaction. Jeez, the sun's ripped. I'm going, hey. <laughs> I mean, he'll go, uh, he's up Mooney. I mean, <laughs> so yeah. Anyway. Um, you, you wish, you say you wish that adversity won't come their way, but the one thing that we Oof. know about life as we get older is that uh, there is no one who lives a life without adversity, you know, and, yep. um, you know, often it's actually the lessons you learn in how to, like you said, face adversity and live in the face of adversity that are, are the more important lessons. Um, uh, these are questions I ask on this podcast anyway, but some of them obviously have more significance, you know, considering what we've been talking about. Um, what? How do you hope that you will, that people will remember you? How do you hope that your family will remember you? And how do you hope that more broadly, your sort of, you know, friends and, and whatever will remember you. Interesting, because I sent Peter B a message probably a week ago saying, you know what, mate, you've created a legacy. When you go, there'll be a legacy because people say, everybody needs a Peter B. How good is that? And I said, and you also helped create my stupidity. And he replied back, no, nah, mate, no. Nah. He's like that. I go, no, you have. You've, you've redefined friendship for a lot of people. I thought about that when he replied to me and thought, what have I done? And I had a message from someone the other day saying, I'm proud of you, the way you've handled this. Okay. I just want them to be proud the way that I handle this. Now, they don't see behind the closed doors how I handle it. Some know and some get an idea and know. When I call them, I'm Peter B, my cousin Tracy and another mate, Jono and Greg. They're the ones that I have a circle of trust with that I, I call and I cry and break down and they get everything. And I feel terrible and they all say, hey, it's okay, mate. It's okay, mate. That's what we're here for. Think, yeah, that's what you're here for. That's good. So I know that I do have people that can help shoulder load. And I just want people to go, you know what? He fought a good fight. Right to the very end, he was still being a bit silly and a bit cheeky. Because I've told people I don't care if I know on a Wednesday, the funerals are following Tuesday. And you all got to come. <laughs> <laughs> and they're all going, oh, we will. And I'm going, well, yeah, see, I'm not going to know, am I? So you can lie to me and go, oh, yeah, we'll all turn up naked. Yeah. As if I'm going to know. Well, we know that you you want to, you just hear, you oh. know, we're, you're happy for us to lie as long as you hear what you want to hear. I want to have an open casket, yeah. you know that? I want to have an open casket and say to people, you know, go, okay, there's an open casket. You can have a look, but remember. <laughs> and I just want to have something covered or something to, or, you know, maybe Something <laughs> throw big. on the end as well. and go, you know, what the, you know, friends go, holy cow, I didn't know. Because <laughs> it is true what happens with cancer, it shrinks like a front turtle, you know, hang like an acorn now, but anyway. Um, so I, I, I'd, re- I'd so love to do that, but I had my wife in mind thinking, I don't think that'd be the great thing. You know, and a, a few comedian mates, David Smeet came up with an idea and Pete did actually saying, we'd love to film you because I don't swear. And they said, we'd love to film you just going to town, absolutely play at your funeral because that'd be funny. It's because yeah. no one would expect it. I went, the only thing because of my wife and it wouldn't. They said, well, maybe we could do one separate just for the comedian guys to get together and have a get together. And they go, oh, here's a message from Coombsy. By the way, Richard Markey. <laughs> and, 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 and just go to town. And I'm like, oh, I've never saw in my life. But the comedian part goes, geez, it'd be funny because they wouldn't expect it. it. It just wouldn't happen. And, um, yeah, so they, they do lie. Everyone's coming naked on the Tuesday to my funeral. And uh, it's going to be a good show. I keep saying to people, I'd, I'd, I'd be there because I've got some good entertainers booked in to come and sing for me that have agreed to. And I know it's, it's actually hard when you write that message to go, hey, this is going to be a bit of a tough question, but is there any chance you'd be able to sing this song at my funeral? And um, 
every answer's been a course. You know, Toby Francis from it was in Kinky Boots, become good friends with him. He sang a song called Soul of a Man, and I want him to sing that for him. He said, Absolutely, mate, I'll be there. Um, and it's really nice when people in that world, you know, Christy Whelan, and, and they'll be there, and Esther Hannaford, and to sing, and I'm like, you know, Gillian Cosgrove, who was an absolute superstar. She's in Harry Potter at the moment. You know, Gillian? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, love Gillian. And her family have been great to me. And my love of theatre has probably sort of grown through Gillian. And theatre is important to me. Musical theatre is really important because it's also my other soulless, my other ground that I go to. Um, and I, I love seeing theatre. And those people in theatre have been so kind. And to say they'll come along, and, you know, Joe Kosky, who's currently in School of Rock, he, I had to ask him, he said, any chance you could come along and sing he does a great version of Lover's Battlefield, and um, he's a good bloke. And uh, he said yes. And I know that's going to be hard because I had to sing at my mate's six-week-old son who died of cot death thirty odd years ago, forty odd years ago, at his funeral, and that was terribly difficult. So I know it's going to be tough, and they've they're professionals. I keep saying to my friends, make sure you come because I'll tell you what, that show costs you a couple hundred bucks if you want to see it. You're going to get it for free because of me. So maybe I should get them to give me things now and say, give me the worth of the ticket to my funeral because it's probably worth a couple hundred bucks. Yeah, just, yeah, I was going to say, just send everybody a ticket to the funeral. Uh, yeah. Send you $220. Give me and I'm thinking, oh, hang on, but then that's going to go to the missus and the kids. Maybe I could uh, spend it up now just buy myself a new TV <laughs> and get a smart TV and a, a few things, a few blocks of chocolate and uh, have a bit of fun. Yeah. Uh, what do you think happens when you die? I have no idea. You know that? Do you think about it? Yep, all the time. And now I, I just have no idea. I don't know. Um, my wife is a strong Christian. She mm. has her beliefs. My faith has been shaken, and I'm just not sure. I do honestly think, my dad used to say, ah, turn to dust and you're gone. That's it. <laughs> Part of me thinks, yeah, it's probably what happens. And other times I think, is there a heaven? Is there a hell? I, I really don't know. I don't have the answer. And I won't be able to tell anyone. Well, mate, I might be able to. You know, I'll drop some little thing in. The, well, I don't know if I'm in the sky. I, don't, I honestly have no idea. And it, it is a question I ask myself a lot, trying to convince myself nothing happens and I'm going to be burnt. And it's good because I love barbecues. <laughs> be the mother of all barbecues, won't it? <laughs> uh, I, I love playing with dry rubs and all that. <laughs> Craig's smoky ribs are going to be... Uh, <laughs> A bit different, are they? I should put a line of sauces That's out. It's weird that he asked us to marinate him. That's... I'm going to do that. And you know, you can chuck things in the coffin. I'm going to put a list now. I want a steak. Like cooked. Well, I mean, chucked in my coffin. I was going to say. Yeah. Not raw. Oh, no. hang on. No, it's going to get well, cooked. it's going to get cooked yeah, anyway. Keep it raw. Right. So you just need well the done. raw ingredients, really, don't you? Chucking the steak, a bit of rub, block of chocolate, a couple of photos. Chuck. I am taking some photos, and I've actually asked some people, is it all right? Like, obviously, I want to take a photo of. Christy Will, uh, my wife. <laughs> <coughs> I did say my wife. Your first. wife, definitely your wife. I, I, that's all I heard. And Esther Hanford. <coughs> so those photos will be coming with me, and they know it. <laughs> my dad requested for a couple of photos. Angelique Casamatis, he just loved her, and he wanted a photo of her and Chloe Zool and Josie Lane because he saw them. The only theatre show he saw me with me was Little Shop of Horrors, and he loved it. And he just thought they were beautiful girls. Jonathan goes, "Hey, get a photo of them shields and send it with me." <laughs> This is not for a die, and you had a. I'm not good on drink because I don't drink yeah. rum or I don't know in a can, right? Or coke okay, or something, sure. whatever. Yeah, and, and he's going, "How good's life? This is not for a die." He's going, oh, "I'm got a can of this stuff. I have got nurses all over me, and I've got a photo. Few beautiful shields are going to come with me." We're going right to the last minute. Shocker, absolute shocker. And I, face to face, told each one of those girls that story. I never want to write it to them. I want to see them and go. 
you're with my dad. Sorry, <laughs> I'll take the same photo and ease the pain a bit. You know, but uh, yeah, I've got a couple of those things up my sleeve. <laughs> um, what's your greatest strength? Ooh, <laughs> I mentioned yesterday that my resilience is fading. At this point in time, I would say my resilience. I don't have a will to live. I don't get up every day and go, yes, I don't. Honestly, don't. So I think the strength just comes from within to go, geez, come on. <laughs> and those days when it's getting difficult, get over it. Just just push through because there's always someone worse than you. Always. And you know, always. And unfortunately, I'm still moving around. Limited, but I'm still moving around. You talked about the idea of assisted dying. Mm-hmm. Um so you're, you're someone who's seen, you know, ha- having, you know, been a nurse, been a paramedic, you know, you understand the nature of, you know, life and the fragility of life and, and, you know, death, you've been around it. You can assess it in a way that perhaps is a little more realistic or practical than, than, you know, those of us who, you know, haven't faced it on a daily basis as part of our world. Um, talk to me about your thoughts around assisted dying. Hallelujah. I'm glad it's in. It's your body. It's my body. I think we've got the right to make our decision. As long as our mind is right. And there's 68 protocols for this. Mm. So they've, they've, they've had I mean, to really, just to give, give people a final laugh, they should have made it 69. <laughs> Surely. Surely they should All right, we'll make an amendment. I'll ring the board. I'll, board I'll go and see them. So see guys, them. we just need to Come put on, one mate. more in. For comedic value. <laughs> uh, call it the Coombs Clause. Yeah. If, we get it, if we get it in, I mean, just... And then all the comedians go, well, he did leave us with something. Thank you. I'm fat and I'm bald, but you know, there's a couple you can hit, but there's another one now. Um, I think it is the right thing for people to make that, as long as they're right of mind. And which, you know, and the protocol's incredible. You've got to you know, have three attempts and each one is declined before you get to the fourth. You've got to go see the board. You've got to go see certain doctors. There's only one pharmacist that has the tablets. They haven't taken this lightly. They've really done this well. And for me... I'm happy that it's available. Let's put it that way. And friends have asked me. <laughs> I had a few going, you're not going to, are you? And I go, well, that's my business. That's my business, yeah. And they said, but you're not going to, are you? I said, don't know. If it gets to that point once my granddaughter's born, and if I think, you know what, I don't want to have to really go through much more pain. This is easier. My wife won't accept that. She will not be happy. She'll fight tooth and nail. But it's there. And that was such a relief, to be honest, to think, okay. Because I'd never do anything outside the law. No. Never. I even remember, I remember my mum actually once saying that. She goes, you know what, son? I can't even kill myself because I'm just a head. I can't even go and do anything. I said, I could put a pillow on your head if you want, mum. <laughs> she goes, uh, no. Because <laughs> then you'd get in trouble. I went, yeah, but it's helping you out. They'd be lenient. She goes, well, you never know. I went, fair enough. I'll leave you alone. <laughs> I'll leave you alone. So I'd, I'd never go that path. And people have said to me, hey, you never, no, 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 no. But the assisted dying is very different. And I'm just very happy that it's available to those who need it. Uh, I could talk to you about so many different things. We didn't even get to the fact that uh, you once for, for a living used to be a footy scout. I did. And um, I 
absolutely fascinated by that. But if people want to hear you talk about that, you've done a, a bunch of junk time AFL podcasts yep. and, and talked about that as well. <laughs> Big uh, fun part of your life and a very interesting because I am fascinated by the idea of, you know, you were someone who had to assess, you know, young people. Yep, talent. Yep. Talent, you know, what their talent was, you know, uh, and then, you know, whether they were the sort of people who would be able to turn that talent into a... Three-time AFL Premiership winning Paul Piwopolo type, you mean? That's Pick 66. <laughs> Thank you, pup. That'll be me who pushed him for three years and got him. And when he was drafted, got the message from Pelkin going, you happy now? I went, yes, three years too late. Thank you. <laughs> so I'll claim Paul Piopolo. Thank you very much. All my friends know that. <laughs> uh, what, uh, I guess, so I, well, now that we're talking about it, I'll, <laughs> I, I'll ask you this question because what was it that you looked for in people? Because I'm always interested in those who, those whose responsibility is to identify someone who has a talent, to be passionate about them, to advocate for them. What was it that, that you would look for in, in other people? Yeah, Piopolo is probably the best example because my son was playing at Nord in Adelaide and I went over to watch my son probably 15 out of 18 weeks. I'd leave Melbourne and go over and watch him drive or fly. And, and I saw Piopolo, I'm thinking, geez, he's got speed, he's got whatever. And I thought he'd be a great fit for Hawthorne. At that point in time, I was working as an opposition assessment for Hawthorne. I'd done recruiting for Port Adelaide and I left them in 2-5 when Pelkin went to Hawthorne. He got me across. So I'd done opposition assessment up to when I got sick. Um... So with Puopolo, I just thought he had attributes. He was just a terrier. And looking at Hawthorne's list at that time, I thought, he fits their needs. He's hard. He's quick. They're lacking a bit of speed. Um, so he was a mature age type player. So I thought it was right. In regards to the kids, though, and the under-18s, which when I was at Port was my main port of call, um, it would really be what the bosses would say when they'd assist the list, assess the list and go, all right, we are primarily looking outside our first pick. We're just going to pick the best talent. Doesn't matter what he is, who he is, that's it. Okay, second and third, we're gonna, we need a, a good running halfback flank or whatever. Or what, so you'd be told at certain games, this is the guy we're targeting. Can you go and have a look at him? I was flown to Adelaide a few times to have a look at a certain player because there was a bit of some guys liked him, some didn't. So they go, all right, you've never seen him. Come over, tell us your opinion. So sometimes they would hot hot recruit certain blokes. Sometimes they'd go to a game and just, just tell us what you think. And you'd have to know your own list really well. You'd have to know the opposition's list really well and go. Yeah, and Pelkin was strong on having every line filled up with guys coming through. So you'd have good players like the Richmond list at the moment. You know, one goes out, one comes in. That was the Port Adelaide mantra as well and the Hawthorne, New Soldiers. And you just have to someone that was capable of fitting their system. And, you know, Hawthorne back in the you know, early days, 12, 13, 14, 15, it was that beautiful kick, left footer, suckling, virtual. So it was what fitted the need of the club is what you recruited at and hot recruited. And I always, occasionally my mates obviously love the fact that I worked in the AFL for so long and they'd want to come along. And I'd say, tell me the best player on the ground. I said, you're correct. You're right. He is the best player. He's going to be drafted top five. Not hard. Find the boat that's going to be picked at 50. That's where you're trying to get your gems. And pure upload at 66 was, you know, still, I reckon, one of the best picks ever. <laughs> 66, a triple premiership player. Jeez, he's got a great little blue staffy dog. He's a ripper. So, uh, <laughs> and a beautiful little girl. And he's, you know, very happy. Thank you, Paul. Come around with those premiership medals and give them, let me wear one of them. Anyway. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, it's... Different in hot recruiting and cold recruiting. So very different sort of game you look at. Uh, this is the final question that I ask yep. people. Um, uh, it's the time the, the time machine question. And it's uh, it, it's developed. As, as, I, as the, I've done the podcast, <laughs> I've added more layers of complexity to the time machine question. But the time machine question is this. You have one ride on a time machine. Back and forward. You know, it's not, it's not mm -hmm. a one way. Yep. It's a return trip. But it's only one way. Uh, here are your options. 
you get to go back to a moment in your life and, and change it. You get to go back to a moment in your life and observe it. Or you get to go back to a moment in history and, you know, change or observe the moment in history, if you would like. Uh, I guess the fourth option is you don't take it. You just say, everything that happened brought me to here and, and you know, no thank you, sir. I won't take your amazing trip on your time machine that you have. Oh, what do you do? I'm being selfish here. <clears throat> well, I th- I, I'm more interested if you take it to something in your own life, to I, be honest. I, so, I am. Yeah, good. And I'm going back to that day where the doctor put the scan up on the... And I want him to say, you've got bad laryngitis, mate. Here's some steroids, you'll be all right. Now, that means I wouldn't have met Hilsey. I wouldn't have met you. I wouldn't have met... I'd probably still be working the same job. Probably still complaining about the traffic, the coffee, getting home, watching TV, having dinner, go to footy on the weekend. But I wouldn't be nolan soon. And I'm... As much as I love... And Hilsey said, sometimes your life is better off for it. Yeah, even when he said about his losing his foot, a young girl was just having an amputation. She said, what advice? And he said, you know what? Sometimes my life is better off for it. And I remember in the DVD, I actually say, when I was standing on the stage at the Apollo Hammersmith, I thought, sometimes my life is better off for it. Last week, when I had a doctor with his finger at me bum, not so much. Today, pretty good. If I'm totally honest, I'd give it all up to be well. In a heartbeat. But I know that can't happen. <laughs> but geez, I wish it could. Craig, thank you for doing this, thank mate. Thank you. I have, uh, it, yeah, I mean, you know, I, it's, thank you very much for taking your time. Thank you very much for coming in. No, my pleasure. Um, much and thank you for sharing all of that with us, mate. Cheers. Thanks.